Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome back to I Loved This Conversation. Uh, normally, this is a podcast where I... Uh, we gotta redo the intro. I got the giggles. You gotta restart it. <laughs> <laughs> Our co-host has the giggles. It's gonna be a good app. Okay. Welcome back, everyone, to I Loved This Conversation, the podcast where I, Alex Salzberg, uh, usually bring on another creative person and talk to them about what's currently going on in their creative lives. But this week is our every 10 episodes special called We Love Your Conversation. Hopefully not confusing that it's a different tense. Um, (laughs) And on We Love Your Conversation, we turn to all of you, the convos, and myself and a co-host who i'll introduce in a moment will uh listen to what you're going through and maybe try to help you with some advice and answer some other random questions too so let's introduce our co-host returning from an earlier episode where we learned all about her from santa fe through zoom whitney tressel hey everybody (laughs) (laughs) the anticipation was great Uh, Welcome back, Whitney. How does it feel to have been promoted to host? Co- oh. Co-host. Don't don't get oh, ahead of yourself. Yeah, right. Don't get ahead wow. of ourselves. I was like, whoa, two steps up. Co-host. It feels great. I'm just so excited to be back because I'm a big listener. So it's fun to also chat here and there. Yeah, welcome back. And I'm sure the convos, as we call them, <laughs> I'm just going to keep using that and hope... <laughs> Hope it sticks. I love a bad name for an audience. (laughs) The convos at like plural, meaning like a community of humans. They're called the convos. Yeah, they're the con. Our (laughs) listeners. I only call them that. Listeners are convos. Got it. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds vaguely religious. I think. Oh well. They can handle it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, if you haven't listened to Whitney Tressel's episode, after you listen to this one, you should go back and listen to that one. Whitney is an art therapist, among other things. Yeah. And that's one hell of an episode. <laughs> it was a good one. So fun. <laughs> if you heard that episode, you know, and I think it'll come through in our uh, co-hosting style um, <laughs> that that Whitney and I have known each other for, I think, sit now more than half our lives, more than 50%. We just crossed the barrier of more than 50%. Yeah. When we met, I believe I was 18. You may, might have been 19, 18 or 19. Probably 19. I'm the elder. <laughs> of the two. Whitney's wisdom has helped me uh, throughout my <laughs> life. Yes. Yeah, I was one of those, like, I drove first. I, like, got my license first in high school. Yeah, and, like, I, I mean, an older person for my grade. So. For sure, <laughs> as college friends, you had a good six months of buying me beer. Oh, that's right. Good. Oh, don't put that public. Oh, my gosh. I think, this, I think the statute of limitations <laughs> might, be, <laughs> so might be over on a 21-year-old buying <laughs> Miller Lite for a 20-year-old <laughs> in, in 2007. <laughs> Fair. Okay. I think I might have said this earlier, but we're going to hear what some folks out there are going through and talk about that. Then we're going to try to give some advice and hopefully uh, we give good advice. Yeah, hopefully. And, and well, Whitney is a therapist. So actually, if everyone could Venmo, what's your rate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Depending how long this episode is. After we give some advice, we'll close out on some, I guess, kind of random questions, sort of a lightning round. We got some good ones. So why don't we start uh, and hear what people are going through? Our first letter. Going through some angst about transitioning into a full-time educator role because a part of me feels like I'm backseating animation and moving further from my artistic goals. And that's from 
Stressed in Quincy, who I'm assuming is an animator. Yeah. The convos might know that you've had some career changes over the past five, 10 years. Have you yeah. ever struggled with like sort of letting go of different things or feeling like you're leaving things behind? Totally. Like right now in real time, struggling with the fact that as you introduce me, like I am an art therapist. I've been a photographer a lot longer and a lot more, I guess, towards the public eye, right? So in fact, to the point of, I haven't <laughs> even officially made it, uh, what is it, like Instagram official or Facebook official, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> that I've transitioned to being a therapist. There is this process of sort of loss or grief of that former self that I've been going through. But then recently, I reframed it to like, what if I'm not losing something? What if I'm adding something on? I yeah. love that. And it feels so much, it just lands better. Like even just saying <laughs> it right now, like I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, let's go, you know? So to this person, like transitioning to a full-time educator role, like I feel like, yeah, there is that loss, so to speak, or temporary loss maybe sounds like yeah. of like backseating animation because that's a very specific word that they chose backseating meaning it's just not up front right now but it's still in the car you know i fully believe that knock on wood life is long and that yeah. will come back into the front and maybe go back to the back and just being aware that that's a possibility is great and i think it's okay to be stressed stressed in quincy because that's a message <laughs> that you care you care about holding on to both okay i think a lot of people would relate totally i want to jump to our next entry yeah. this person writes struggling with skills acquisition for skills that require materials tools and space that i don't have access to for instance i can't oil paint in my home and i'm uncertain where to find a floor loom to practice on etc and that's from seeking creative space Ooh, this is like a case management question Interesting. Tell me oh, what that was. <laughs> Get your, this is no place for your therapy words. <laughs> no, none. People okay. who've listened to this know we do not support therapy on this podcast. <laughs> You're right, right. Nor should this podcast be a, a substitute for therapy itself. That I agree with. It should not be a substitute. <laughs> but yeah, tell me what, what case management <laughs> helping someone find resources. Oh, I see. Okay. So like in therapy, it's like there's therapy, but then there's a lot of organizations have a case manager who's like, who needs to be in 30 day treatment? Who needs shelter? Who need like resources? Right. Got it. I wish I knew where they lived because I wonder if there's a lot of community resources that it might take some digging, but for example, I am i don't know, but I'm guessing they don't live in Santa Fe, but maybe they do. <laughs> um, we have like a program called Vital Spaces that tries to help and fund artists, like literally to find spaces and certain art supplies that they might ha have access to. And so I wonder if there's like a community oriented group or project or collective that is doing some of the things maybe that you're seeking. Also, I think some of it is about building momentum. It can be really, really hard to build momentum when you don't have a dedicated space or don't have your supplies on hand. This next one, I think, is another pretty relatable one. This person writes, I think the thing that I'm going through creatively and professionally is setting boundaries. Oof. Including how soon I can get something done, 
How much am I willing to do for a given budget, etc. Years of freelance instilled a habit of being over accommodating and over eager because I want all my clients to love me all the time. Oh. It doesn't help that it's so hard to get a read on someone's tone via email. I'll think, wow, that was short. Not even an exclamation mark, just a period. He must hate me. Or sometimes I feel, did I come off too harsh? Am I an accidental jerk? Oh God, I knew it. And that is from GM. So <laughs> GM. I feel called out. <laughs> yeah, Tim, you're you're the voice of the people here. <laughs> yes, totally. Oh my gosh, Sauls, you don't have any friends that you know need to be loved all the time, do you? Uh, can the friend be me? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, I think just the the act of starting a podcast implies that I want to be loved all the time. <laughs> <laughs> by there's everyone, by every last person on this earth. Yeah, there's definitely some emptiness I'm trying to fill. Oh, man. Something, and I wish I remembered who the person was first, but I've heard it a few times since. The fact that boundaries aren't necessarily harsh to put up or something that is necessarily like punitive it's more so that you can keep the love there right oh yeah Yeah. i love that right and whoever said it said it really eloquently but there's my version of it we need boundaries in order to keep the love there so what that can look like for an artist is like boundaries around time to keep the love for a certain client to keep the love for oneself in a personal project right And yet setting boundaries can feel really hard for people pleasers. I would have no idea. (laughs) It's it's very tough. Boundaries are harder the higher the stakes are. And when it's how you pay your bills, the stakes feel really high. I bet it's not just that you want your clients to love you all the time, although I, I know that feeling. I know I can set a boundary. Like I know I can charge a certain amount that I'm worth or push back on the schedule a certain amount. But the fear, which I don't think is usually true, but the fear is that if I put it one inch too far, The client's Mm going to just be like, well, we hate you. We're going with someone else. Bye. Let's end the uh, going through section. I have a few that are positive, which I always like. Let's celebrate a few wins here. I currently have a nine to five job in my desired field that is slightly different from my dream job, but it gives me the energy and motivation to explore my hobbies and passions in art outside of work. This is something I feel really good about and really lucky since I know a lot of other creatives tend to get burnt out with their work. And that's from someone called Perpetual Project start from Boston. Heck yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Having a nine to five can often be really helpful because it gives us the financial stability sometimes to be able to explore art, be able to to get that loom, to get those oil paints, things like that, but then not always the time. Whatever you're doing to, to keep that energy and motivation going, it sounds like it's really working. Perpetual Project Start from Boston, I'm just really happy for you that this time in your life, you're able to to feel that energy and motivation. And I do think it's a fortunate place and good for you. The next positive one, keeping that positivity going, burnt out on doing perfect, productive, client-facing artwork in my professional life. In my free time, I make silly garbage to get my creativity on, a beaded bracelet that spells penis, painting swirls all over a secondhand live, laugh, love canvas. Yeah, <laughs> Love it. Next, I want to spray paint a neon Pikachu. I just need to find a big enough piece of cardboard. And that's from Burnout Baby, Winky Face. Um, (laughs) Oh my gosh. I think this is a total antidote to burnout. You know, like this is my cup of tea, just like making stuff for the sake of making. And I think that's so beautiful. And gosh, that's wow. 
a beaded bracelet that spells penis. Let's go. Why not? You know? And <laughs> I, just, I love that. Just the creativity that you're doing, Burnout Baby. It sounds like it's mitigating some of um, the harder parts, right? Keep up the good work and uh, write us next time because I want to hear your next round of projects. Yeah. I'm so excited to follow your, um, your silly garbage career. <laughs> All right. And the last one in our sort of positive what we're going through entries is another one that starts with a tough thing and then reverses to positive. I'm still unable to get back to my preferred medium, but I'm adapting and deciding to look at it as an opportunity. I want to work at the intersection of art and business, two of my passions. I worked out a merch deal slash mural ideas for my work and have great concepts, but realized that my drawing sucks. Then I happened upon a talented illustrator working at a coffee shop on a personal project that was exactly what I had pictured in my mind. So I introduced myself and we hit it off and it looks like there's bigger potential to work together. The universe is funny, isn't it? And that's from Tito Picard and I'm not good at French, but De, De La Frontière. I think that means from the frontier. Seems like it. It means penis bracelet. I looked it up. Um, oh, <laughs> what if we cut the question before, but leave that? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um man what what do you what what's your reaction to this this wonderful tale oh my gosh yeah i love when like universe type stuff happens like that mostly when it happens to me but um <laughs> yeah tito man or human i'm so happy for you that this landed for you and also it reminds me for the very ambitious folks out there and i say that in a positive way because that word can be turned around on some of us is that we don't you know have to wear all the hats right like it's okay that your drawing sucks your words not mine and I just think like, especially for freelancers, like we're already running our own businesses, like delegating and outsourcing is so important and it gives other artists opportunities. Absolutely. I also have had recently times where uh, um, the universe or, or whatever you want to call it, coincidence, serendipity have happened where I sort of stumbled upon someone's art and was like, wait, this is exactly the thing I need for this thing that I don't know how to do. And it's amazing when that happens. And I think some of it is that random or serendipitous universe stuff, but also it's a matter of being open to building your community of creative people. And so you were attuned, Tito, <laughs> Tito uh, de la Frontier. La frontier. You, you, were, you were attuned to to be excited about other artists and you're someone who would see someone working on something in a coffee shop. And I'm mm -hmm. guessing you're someone who just would like want to see what they're working on anyway, even if it wasn't for your business. So um, totally. uh, what I'm saying, Tito, is you are the universe. That's and right. That concludes our first section, believe it or not, two to go. So ready. I want to thank everyone again for writing in what you're going through and sharing it. Yeah. The reason I always ask our guests that question up front is because I think it just like jump starts us to a just all feel like we're not alone. We're all in this together, but also just like jumpstarts the conversation. But now we've got some folks and some of them are folks we heard from above asking for some advice. The first question asking for advice is, um, my personal projects are suffering from the professional projects that are taking up all of my time. How do you maintain a balance between working on personal projects and actually completing them as well as maintaining your professional obligations? Um, and this was submitted by someone who goes by Definitely not a former LA plus D student. LA plus D is uh, Leslie Art and Design, where I oh. I teach classes occasionally. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of my students. Big question. Big yeah. lifelong question, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that said, 
so that I don't get overwhelmed in the moment or in the day within a day. I like to take the long view with this kind mm -hmm. of thing. It's something I wish I knew, for instance, in my early to mid 20s. I am in my late 30s for context. And I just think the long view with professional work versus personal projects brings me to a point of like less urgency, right? So like maybe there's more urgency in your professional obligations because there's a paycheck attached to it and there's other people with expectations attached. And then your personal projects, it's really you are your own form of accountability and payment in whatever way you know, I say that loosely, like fulfillment, let's say. I wonder what it would look like if some of the urgency sort of was relieved from your personal projects day to day, which is definitely something I wish I learned earlier in my career as someone who balances personal projects and professional obligations. So I agree with everything you said about the long-term thing. What I want to maybe contribute to advice for this is in addition to that, I think very healthy, like thinking of it long term, when you are at a point where there's a specific personal project that you're just so, so called to do. And by called to, I mean, it's just, it's like, it's gnawing at you. It's something you really want to put out into the world. And for me, that was this podcast, among other projects, two things I can say to that that are hopefully helpful. One, at the end of the day, it's not going to happen unless you do show up and are accountable to it. Yeah. And so whatever way you're able to create accountability for yourself, for me, often there is a, a schedule. And then the other thing that has helped me to think about is that having a perfect balance with anything in life, my opinion is, is just not possible. It's good to strive toward having balance in the sense of making sure you're healthy and not burning yourself out and not, not overextending yourself and having good boundaries. But if you have times when you're really, really busy because you're good at your job and trying to be really good at something that you're passionate about and putting it out in the world, that's okay if sometimes you're really busy and tired from that. And that's something that I've had to work on because I think I always in the past was waiting for myself to have the ability to do work projects and personal projects and feel not tired. <laughs> But I don't put the pressure on myself to have perfect balance anymore. I hope both are helpful. Like it's helpful to let go of, of the urgency, but then also when, when almost like for me, I should say personally, I let go of the urgency to create everything that I want to do. Cause there's a million, I have probably a hundred side projects I want to oh. do. When you let go of the urgency, what sometimes happens is one or two still float to the top and mm. still feel urgent. And maybe those are the ones that are really, really important to you. And those are the ones that are worth reintroducing some of the urgency towards and pushing yourself. Because you're so into them that yeah. they won't go away. Yeah. I have a tattoo. One of my tattoos symbolizes balance. It's a triangle on my wrist. And so that every time I look down at my wrist, I'm like, okay, remember balance. <laughs> and so like to have this concept like tattooed on my body means <laughs> <laughs> like, A, it's important. It, it's like important to me and it's a lifelong practice. So like so yeah. also saying like totally just shifts all the time. And I feel like, yeah, you're super not alone. Yeah, I'm personally right there with you. The tattoo is not about necessarily work versus art projects. It's like life balance. Just yeah. I don't have like my to-do list tattooed down my forearm or anything. No. <laughs> that would be intense. <laughs> but yeah, all to say right there with you. 
Love it. Hopefully we helped someone who may have been a former student of mine. <laughs> Let's see if we can help someone else. I am starting to find that I want to monetize my hobbies instead of keeping them as hobbies and have found myself starting to look for freelance work in those fields, which might be a fine thing, or maybe I will become overloaded with the work. I guess my question would be, where do you draw the line for monetizing hobbies as a creative? And that is um, our friend Perpetual Project Start from Boston. I mean, gosh, it's hard for me to monetize a hobby that's creative if I'm not like, I don't have to be fully in it, but enough in it to, you know, bridge it over from that personal time to my monetary time. Um, I got to really love doing it. I think the hard truth is like when you do monetize something is a trade-off. There's mm-hmm. positives that come from it. Sometimes that positive is money. Sometimes that positive is that you are able to do that hobby you love more because of the money you're making. I get to animate more than an adult who doesn't monetize their animation because I'm being paid for it. But the trade-off is that you do lose some of the freedom and the flexibility and to be honest, just some of the like pure uncut joy of it when you when you monetize it and have accountability. Something I try to be really careful of in my life is just because I've monetized one thing that for others is a hobby, right? Like animation, just because I've monetized my drawing skills doesn't mean that I have to monetize everything creative that I do. In the age of, and I'm I'm a participant in this age, I'm not saying this like from an old man standpoint, in the age of Instagram and TikTok and influencing this idea that if you post enough TikToks about making coffee, a coffee company will sponsor you potentially, and then you become a coffee influencer, right? It can be really tempting mm-hmm. to do that. And I always want to have something creative in my life that I will not monetize. Like what? For me, cooking. Yeah, hell yeah. To boil it down to advice, I would say um, if you're looking for your line, it doesn't necessarily matter where the line is. It's more that just you should have a line and not have everything in your life be monetized. Love that. I feel less overwhelmed hearing you say that. For oh. real. I'm like, oh, shoot. Okay. We just have to have a line. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all. Yeah. yeah just have, have some things in your life that are just for you or just for you and one other person, just for you and your friend, just for you and your partner, just for you and your wow. mom, whatever. Some of the best writing I've done has been on a birthday card for one person that they maybe still have. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And they often involve macaronis, I hear. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I love that, though, because that's how I feel about uh, <laughs> thank you notes is like I mm. write my most like heartfelt, sincere, just like poetic, beautiful language to usually a loved one. And I send it off to them. I feel that way, too, about hiking. Like Ooh. as a photographer, I'm like, I could make some serious passive income with these landscapes I'm taking. Yeah. These hikes, and then I'm like, wait, this is my time to just like be in nature. These photos that I take or not take are gonna just collect dust metaphorically on my yeah. phone. Maybe they'll be in slideshow form at my funeral. You can <laughs> decide that, Salzburg, if you're there. Oh no, am I the executor? Um, <laughs> <laughs> now you are. <laughs> God. (laughs) Let's see if we can help someone else. We got one that uses the phrase mental health, so they will have to Venmo you. You're obligated. (laughs) Uh, How to manage mental health as a self-employed person, specifically feeling guilty about not working nine to five days from home, even though I acknowledge it's a positive that I set work boundaries for my mental health. Stressed in Quincy. 
Quincy. Is that in Massachusetts? It is. Yeah, it's a, okay. it's a city, a city just south of Boston. Okay, I would have said Quincy. It's Quincy. Got it. Yeah, I think I'm so. I'm excited. It's probably like Quincy is the real pronunciation, but like the trashy Boston pronunciation is like ah Quincy or whatever. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <sighs> So how can our friend in Quincy manage their mental health as a self-employed person? And the guilt piece. Yeah, the guilt piece is... Yeah, I just want to be with the human. Be like, tell me more about the guilt. If, If I were to have my therapy hat on, and that's not what's happening here fully, I do therapy within a relational, cultural, systemic framework, meaning that I like to help people within the systems in which their worldview exists. And that's just like my philosophy, right? There's a million ways to do therapy and to do it successfully. But I, for one, like I'm always acknowledging the system in which they exist. And so like for this person, like who, who was the person that then like said nine to five, who, you know, 40 hours a week, we can't as one single human disrupt this long, long, long uh, history (laughs) of, you know, the nine to five life. right? Right. And also the nine to five was probably like a compromise we made when they were making people work even longer. I just, I think it's important. I get angry with stuff. Okay. So I think stressed in Quincy that you have an opportunity to revolutionize the way work, so to speak, is done, right? So like, it sounds like you feel guilty, right? But you also have a skill of setting boundaries for your mental health. And that it sounds like you can be productive in a shorter amount of time, and then have more time for, you know, whether it's your health or helping others or just sleeping longer, I don't know, watching an extra TV show, whatever it takes, like self preservation stuff, you know, I feel like, gosh, don't play by the rules. Let's shake it up. You know, it's sort of undoing and unlearning, you know, where that guilt might be coming from. And I'll say from someone who's also self-employed, I'm right there with you with that guilt. Just like you, I have been on the journey for many years of setting better boundaries and prioritizing my mental health above everything else. And I'm not, I'm not always a hundred percent successful at that, but that's, that's a priority for me. And that has never made me worse at being self-employed and running a business. And it has always made me better at it, which again, not that the only marker of success should be like how good your business is doing. uh, (laughs) Because if that was true, then I would only be successful like every other year. But like, (laughs) you might just have to live in the guilt a little bit because the the positives you're getting from this work you're doing on your mental health might just be worth the guilt. Love it. All right. Let's get into our next advice question. I, I think this is someone who who's really potentially in, in a low point. Lately, I've been struggling to figure out how I want to grow as an artist. I want to make more comics and strengthen my technical drawing skills and improve my storytelling, but I don't really know what stories to tell or what to draw. I also want to turn my art into stuff people can take home with them, but I feel like nothing I make is good enough for that. How do you overcome blocks like these? And that's mm-hmm. from Shabby. Shabby. Someone who is creating content that doesn't really have content in this moment that is sort of firing them up or motivating them to, to create is what yeah. I'm at and, as well. And I'm getting a sense there's a bit of a either self-esteem or imposter syndrome thing. This feeling that nothing nothing they make is good enough. Whitney, have there been times where you've had to overcome 
similar blocks of sort of being lost? Oh, yeah. Whew, it happens a lot in personal projects because I feel like I tend to either have a lot of ideas and a lot of like feistiness and then the pendulum swings and I go into these moments of like, I have nothing to say. And even if I did, would anyone want to hear it or would anyone want to see it? And does it even matter? These sort of existential swings of like what exactly is going on here? I do feel like blocks like these can like naturally be mitigated with time. Yeah. But I also understand the sort of discomfort in sitting in a block like this. Right. I think sometimes, at least like with hard emotions, which I know is not exactly what we're talking about, but almost like sitting with the hard stuff, almost like inviting it in and getting curious about it rather than being like, oh, no, no, not this again. Yeah. Just being with it, which is uncomfortable and helpful, in my opinion. Right. Let's say Shabby is just going to sit with this feeling that they're not good enough and they don't really know where to start or what stories to tell or what to draw. Is there a certain way you'd recommend like actively sitting with the feeling versus passively sitting with the feeling? Or is it just a matter of being patient? Um, well, I mean, I think it's both, but um, a therapy hat response. I have my photographer hat, my therapy hat. Take a picture. Oh, wrong hat, wrong hat. <laughs> um, Something I learned within my graduate school experience is is like letting these uncomfortable emotions exist by the action of inviting them in. It almost is like their their power becomes less. Uh, it reminds me of this poem, "The Guest House" by Rumi, and it's a brief poem. I'll read. I'll read now. If yeah, let's hear it. Convos or the convos are up for it. It's a popular poem. You could just Google it yourself too. But it's called "The Guest House," and it goes like this: This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Mm, I Rumi. love that. Rumi, right? killing it. Nails let's it get, every time. Let's get Rumi on the pod. <laughs> I mean, okay. that might be a little tough for a few reasons. <laughs> Just to punctuate it, please tell me what year Rumi died. <laughs> Wait, now I need to Google if Rumi's alive. And Rumi's TikTok. <laughs> Ruby, Ruby died. Ruby died December seventeenth, twelve seventy three. I'm over here, like probably like nineteen seventy three, twelve seventy three. So what you're saying is, Ruby's not going to do the pod. <laughs> Not not in this lifetime. Uh, I, I didn't I didn't mean to undercut that beautiful sentiment. Um, I I love that poem, 
And yeah, I guess I guess I don't want to add too much. I've definitely had some blocks like this stay at my guest house for way too long. The only thing I'll add is is that maybe you don't have to worry about doing all of these things at once. Maybe the time in your life where you improve your drawing skills is not the same time that you tell meaningful stories. Maybe the time that you tell stories is not the same time that you feel like your stuff is ready to send home with other folks. Maybe you need to paint a neon Pikachu or or, or spray paint yeah. a live, laugh, love or penis bracelets, things like that. And, and I know Whitney from from our episode together that is something um, you discovered a lot in your journey toward art therapy, right? Is the creating just to create without these goals necessarily of either improving or sharing? Yes, totally. The process over product type perspective, honestly, temporarily saved me as an artist because I wouldn't do anything without it being like for someone or being paid or like for my Instagram or something. And also shabby, this is a little meta, but I I wonder if a story you need to tell right now is about not having a story to tell. That's true. And and even if you don't tell that story now, when you are able to tell stories or draw or all those things, this is one of the stories you may be able to turn to. Mm-hmm. You're not too shabby, shabby. I love it. I, I had to. Had to do it. Had to do it. Anyway, get Rumi on the pod, you know? <laughs> get Rumi on. What do you think, like a late May, early June? I think so. I mean, do you have any um, mutual Facebook friends with Rumi? His email's not on his website. <laughs> I, can't do it. I can't do it. I I tried messaging them on on Facebook Messenger because that seemed like the only way. <laughs> does does Rumi have representation? <laughs> Maybe if I go on IMDb Pro, I can email Rumi's agent. Right? Yeah, because it doesn't just show up unless you pay monthly, right? You, you got to pay for the paid account to get the uh, management. <laughs> I mean, Rumi's Instagram is private, so I, I requested a follow, but he hasn't answered. I requested at least a hundred years ago. <laughs> so elusive. It just makes me want to want to talk to him more. Let's get to some random questions. Random. Pew, pew, pew. Pew, pew. So the, <laughs> these are questions that could fit anywhere. Um, some of them are sort of deeper. Some are are, are more um, fun and silly and, and stuff. Our first one. Have you ever felt burnt out? And how long have you taken time off before diving back into your work? And then sort of the secondary question is, what actually is burnt out? Because the term gets used a lot. And that's a question from Christine. Oh, man, Christine, that's so great to bring up. I feel like it is a buzzword, so to speak, right now, but also a real, real thing, right? Like, as a therapist, do you have a specific working definition of burnt out? I wouldn't be able to spout off a particular definition. I'd Mm -hmm. have to probably, like, reference back on a couple things. But I would say it's definitely one of those words that is starting to get I don't want to say overused, but it's certainly like a very, hmm, it's a very serious thing. Like burnout is, is, um, is not stress. It is not tired. Exhaustion is getting there, right? Yeah. Um, but I would say like burnout is a little bit more paralyzing. I think the word paralyzing is dead on in that the times yeah. I know when I'm burnt out or really close too burnt out are the times when I feel almost sort of frozen. Like, let's say that I have a huge work project and then I also have to do my laundry. When I'm merely tired or merely stressed, the feeling I would describe is like, 
oh man, <laughs> I got to do laundry too. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow or like, oh, fine, I'll do laundry. That sucks. When I'm burnt out or bordering on burnt out, at the end of a long day of working on the thing that's burning me out, the act of doing laundry feels insurmountable. Yes, that's a great example. <laughs> Even though laundry is not that hard for me, I yes. say. I'll speak for myself. Uh, yes, no, know. that's exactly it. Yeah, that's spot on. See, you're not the therapist in the room and look at you <laughs> slaying. Fax me your license. It's mine now. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> Yeah. Fax me that Rumi poem too. (laughs) And his number and his and his number. Bring out Rumi. You have his personal cell. (laughs) I do, you know, it's on my burner phone. Burnout phone. (laughs) A lot of not returned calls on my burnout phone. (laughs) I don't even want to look at it. See a lot of texts left unread on my burnout phone. Left unread for sure. Um, I guess back to the first question, have you felt burnt out and and how long have you taken time off before diving back in? From the big picture, I have not taken enough breaks in my life. I've felt burnt out and they were like sort of life transition times as well. So a burnout happened and then something just had to change. And so I've learned from those times and recently took a six week break between graduating with my master's and then starting at a full-time job as a therapist. And that was just an amazing job. I'm patting myself on the back. I'm with so me. excited for you that you did that and proud of you. I think you talked about that on our episode. I think you referred to it as a juicy break. A juicy break. So I am being <laughs> repetitive, but it means go listen to the rest of it. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> real talk. I'm still coming back from it income wise. Mm-hmm. Right. And yes, I initially had the privilege to even take a break for that long without having income. And within that, I even job searched. Right. And Mm. so I wouldn't say there it was like this six week like spa experience. But honestly, for me and I think for everybody, like a break means something different for everyone. And for me, this past break meant not doing patient work, not doing client work in, in the therapy lens because I just had to be with myself and my emotions. Let's jump to our next uh, random question. Um, Another sort of more serious one. How has the continuation of global pandemics affected your art? Everyone was checking in with each other during the first year of isolation. But now that we are pseudo normal, and it's three years later, how has your mindset changed? And that's from a confused crystal. So as a travel photographer, I think the answer is inherent in the title, travel photographer. Jobs stopped in terms of travel photography for a bit. And Mm -hmm. I lucked out in the sense that right before the pandemic, like five months before it started, I enrolled in graduate school to begin my path to becoming an art therapist. And so it did not affect my art in terms of travel photography because I was already moving on from it. I will say it dramatically affected my therapeutic art, my art therapy track in the sense that I was trying to help patients or clients in real time in a pandemic when I myself had never been through a pandemic. 
Mm. And so as a therapist, at least my philosophy and the graduate school in which I went to, shout out Southwestern College of Santa Fe, a philosophy is that we try to experience things first on ourselves as our own patients to then more ethically, uh, more empathetically sort of intervene in others' lives. Right. right. And yet it was like, we're all living this at the same time. Luckily, I had some amazing support and amazing professors that also it was their first pandemic, right? <laughs> and so there's it was a lot of grace and a lot of just like, hey, we got to just show up how we can show up. And for me, that changed the art of therapy in the sense that it humanized therapists more. There's an inherent, unfortunate, inherent power dynamic between a therapist and a client, and yet it leveled the playing field quite a bit, which it should always be level. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's just we're all in this. And so I think a lot of love came out of it. What about you, Sauls? What, how has it affected your art? I think the ways in which it affected specifically my art are more indirect, like in that the ways in which it affected my career and my life will obviously like filter down into my art. I think the thing that really shifted for me during the pandemic, prior to the pandemic, my community was very much built around Boston and the people I knew in Boston. I ran monthly artist talks in Boston and we gathered for that. And I saw Boston artists a lot. I taught with a lot of other Boston artists. So it was very localized and it was very active. And for obvious reasons, that just sort of <laughs> yeah. went away. So what's kind of shifted is because yeah. of all of that, I think I also was thinking differently about how my community could look. And I don't think I'm there yet in filling the hold of community that I had before. But this podcast has been a part of that community. And my personal community of artists has grown from this podcast as well, because I've met new people through conversations on here. Yeah. So, all right, we have we have another question. It's actually our, our pal Tito Picard de la Frontiere. All right, Tito. Tito apparently is a fan of the pod and has heard your episode because in Tito's entry, they guessed based on the few clues that I put out on social media that the guest co-host would be you, Whitney. Oh someone, my goodness. Someone who, who, for the listeners, spent um, about two years living on the road in a camper relatively recently. So Tito asks, and this is pretty specific to you, yeah. Whitney, do you miss the road? And Tito adds for context that they've been thinking about this a lot. I've been trying to settle and grow a home base in life, which has suffered from bouncing around a lot, but the current housing market is impenetrable. So I'm starting to get the itch to hit the road again, even though the healthiest thing for me would be to settle into a community with a regular schedule. I do, Tito. I do miss the road. Not as much to go back to it right now. I hear you. I'm wanting to like have a little home base and that feeling healthy and getting some more community and like routine in your life. That is a place where I think I am. And I uh, haven't had that most of my life. And most of the time by choice, some of the time not. Gosh, I miss the road. But you know what? I think there's ways to totally travel and still be like, quote, settled down. I mm. hate that phrase. Hit the road. Hit the road, Tito. Even if you go like a different route to where you normally would, you know, if you have a commute to work, like take a different route. I don't know. I feel like I've learned so many different ways to travel. But yes, I miss it. All right. Uh, well, now we've got a couple more questions, and I, these are some like quick, fun ones. So oh, I think we'll why don't we good. why don't why don't we call this the lightning round? Lightning round. Seeking creative space is asking us, "What is your favorite writing implement?" I write with light. I'm a photographer. <laughs> a pencil. 
what do you what do you like about a pencil over say like a pen or a marker i, I can erase it i can erase it it helps nice. me uh, with my perfectionist tendencies in fact i'm writing all my thank you notes from graduation in pencil um, but the real answer salzburg is i write with light okay yeah i'm a photographer and the root of the words photographer are writer of light which sounds trite but i also think that's adorable like, i like how it horrible is that i love it writing with lights beautiful like that's like does it get better than that the best for me yeah i like sharpie pens mm. <laughs> all right next lightning round question definitely not a former la plisty student i mean you've convinced us you're definitely not definitely <laughs> certainly you, not you definitely went to mass art what is your favorite music to listen to when you're creating is is an option nothing yeah i'll allow it okay <laughs> i love music in general mm -hmm. but i'm i'm uh i do best with ambient sound like silence or just whatever's going on outside my window or in my house or office or car or whatever i think that shows that you don't fear your own thoughts as much as me <laughs> <laughs> i suppose if you're thinking into it yeah when i'm drawing i often listen to podcasts I don't know, they kind of keep me company that sounds sad but like i'm i'm not a lonely person i just mean like it's nice to have a conversation happening while i'm doing art but that i'm not participating in because i got to focus on drawing in terms of music my music tastes are pretty broad i also have become very like reacquainted with listening to an album from start to finish which is something mm -hmm. I did a lot growing up because I grew up uh, in the age of CDs. So you get a CD and you just listen start to finish. Yeah. Um, and then the age of the age of Napster playlists and stuff like that. Uh, just kidding. I've never illegally downloaded music and Whitney has never bought me beer. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> never on the same day. That age of like, you know, downloading music and all of that led me to like that shuffle playlist mode for many years. I know streaming music, there are a lot of bad things about it. But for me, having access to like many, many of the albums in the world on Spotify has reacquainted me with the love of albums. And when I get hooked on an album, I will become like addicted to it and listen over and over. So the past like two or three weeks, I've been very addicted to an Andrew Bird album called Are You Serious? And it's literally just because I heard an interview with him. He's, a, I think, a Chicago musician. I honestly don't know how to describe his genre. Uh, Adam, as you edit this, will yell at me because you probably know it exactly. I heard an interview of and he mentioned that album and like the story behind it. So I checked it out and then I'm hooked. And the only other thing I'll add about music is if I have even a minor connection to an artist, like I met yeah. them once or I saw them play a show once or they're a friend or a friend of a friend, that will make me appreciate their music 10 times more. There's a right. lot of artists that I'm like huge fans of, but that I also am acquaintances with, which is always kind of a funny thing because I'm like, man, if only, uh, you know what, I'll call him out because I think he listens, but if only Alec Hudson knew that I'm like a super fan, you know? <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I also like um, taking dance breaks when I'm creating. For me, like I said, like the silence piece is big, but then I need these like breaks of just like, you know, twerking in the mirror or something. Mm, nice. <laughs> what is your, what's your favorite song to twerk to in the mirror? <laughs> That's personal Salzburg. What if it was like a slow Andrew Bird song? <laughs> yeah. Just violin. <laughs> right. Funny you mention Andrew Bird is who I usually 
<laughs> I mean, I can't. Oh, it's too. I can't just name a song. Lately, I've been hyped up about Rihanna because of the Super Bowl halftime. Oh, hell yeah. So I would say, like, I'm on a Rihanna streak right now, but that's not like all the time. All right. Well, we have one final question, but it's cute. Cute. And this question is from someone who knew for a fact from me that Whitney was going to be the guest on the podcast and knows me and knows Whitney. You guys have been friends for so long. Do you have any advice about maintaining lasting and meaningful friendships? And that question is from BFF forever, the number four. (laughs) Um, And what I love about that sign off is I'm just going to reveal it. This this question is from my, from my wife who Woo-hoo! has has vowed to be my BFF forever <laughs> in front of uh, in front of many people, including Whitney. Oh, it's so, great! First of all, I I want to I want to sit in the moment and mm-hmm. and sit in my gratefulness that we have been friends for so long. Yeah, because it's been great. Yeah. Oh, we're so special, Sauls. I love it. It's a real gift. It is. It is. Yeah. I guess, I mean, we could have put this in advice, I guess, because the word advice is in it. But I like ending on it. It's sweet to end on. Yeah. yeah. What's your advice about maintaining lasting and meaningful friendships? Because I, I know for a fact, because I know you so well, that um, this is not your only lasting and meaningful friendship, that you you are a great friend and you have really great friendships in your life that have been long. And they're probably listening. So this applies to them, too. Because they're the kind hey. of friends that listen to podcasts that I'm on. Which is two now, two for two. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I think what one way to maintain a lasting and meaningful friendship is to accept parts of them that might be unacceptable to others. I feel for me in, gosh, with a lot of different relationships, my my pattern of communication isn't ideal. I'm not going to just be hard on myself right now because it's a, it's a different way to communicate. It's not necessarily bad, but I'm one of those people that to be friends with me for a very long time, it requires a lot of grace in that I don't often text or talk on the phone, but I feel like if that's accepted, that my frequency of keeping in touch is accepted, then like the, the quality of the time I spend with friends, I feel is really, um, it's great. I, actually, mm-hmm. if, I, if I'll say it, my love language, so to speak, <laughs> same, shout same. out Gary Chapman. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he <laughs> did love languages. Anyway, but I think my love language, I know by and large is quality time. Mm-hmm. And so if I can have a friend like you, Salzburg, that can appreciate, okay, there's going to be some years, I'll say it, that we talk twice. But when we talk or when we visit each other, let's say, which is maybe not even once a year, right? We pick up where we leave off and I can like really be myself and not apologize for it. And so all these things that I'm saying like that I output as a friend, I also appreciate like as input as a friend, right? So like a mirror doesn't have to be exact, but I feel like some of the things I just said might resonate with you Salzburg and and the friend you are to people, including me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think, I think if I were to give advice on maintaining lasting friendships, the two things that come to mind, one is showing up. And what that doesn't mean to me is seeing them all the time. Because there are people I see all the time that I'm not as close with as people like you who I see maybe once a year, uh, maybe less. 
but showing up means that like when you do show up, like you show up a hundred percent, whether it's when the person needs you, if they need a phone call from you or making that effort to visit people. Yes. You and I haven't seen each other uh, as much over the years as if we like lived closer, but like you have come to Boston over the years. Like I've been to Santa Fe and to your camper when it was somewhere. And <laughs> and it's sometimes hard, right? We only have so many times if we're even lucky enough to do so to like take a trip. And sometimes you're like, well, do I go to that country I've never been to before, but I don't know anyone? Or do I go to Maryland again to see my good friend or something, you know? <laughs> and like no shade to Maryland. Um, and I found that it has been so rewarding for me and the friendships have been lasting because I often make the choice to visit friends. And I, I guess the second thing that comes to mind, take risks and and do things with your friends. Like, I think that the yeah. most lasting friendships are forged in some kind of adventure. And that doesn't mean you need to be like, yeah. climb a mountain together, be stranded together. I mean, you and I met in college, so our friendship was probably forged in the the typical college adventures of like weird parties and too much homework and, yeah. and, you know, learning to be a, adults and all of that. I've noticed this. There's people in my life who I've known for a really long time. And this is okay, by the way, I'm not mad that I'm not as close with them, but like, I'm not as close with them because we might see each other around, but like we haven't been through something together. Totally. Oh, and I love the adventure part you brought in. Yeah. So true. Cause with adventure comes like, risk like you said mm -hmm. and vulnerability and like memories in you know yeah yeah, yeah these these That's stories awesome. we have together it, they're these little pillars along the way those i think the adventures build trust so that when when you're not having an adventure when you're just calling your friend to to cry or to vent or to get advice or whatever you've built that trust by like i don't know having that weird experience with that really weird waiter at that restaurant one night or something you know like it's all <laughs> I, yeah. yeah i'm with you yeah. Oh, Sauls. I'm Friends. grateful for you. Same. Well, everyone, on that note, <laughs> I, <laughs> Whitney and I are officially done with sanity. Whitney is <laughs> making a face that involves upside down hands in sort of a goggle fashion. Now she's miming death, I want to say. <laughs> a quick thanks to Rumi. <laughs> <laughs> can't do it. <laughs> Penis bracelets. Yeah, this episode is sponsored by penis bracelets. Have you ever looked at your penis and said, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's the other thing about friendship it, uh, is uh, pursue friendships where you feel there are zero eggshells so you yeah. can just throw out weird things. Thank you so much, Convos, <laughs> for listening yeah, to Convos for real. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening to We Love Your Conversation, which is the special um, once every 10 episodes episode of I Loved This Conversation. Huge thank you to my guest co-host slash 50% of life friend, Whitney <laughs> Tressel. Uh, Whitney, is there anywhere you want to direct people in life on the internet to if they like you and your whole general vibe? Mm. Where where would you send them? So a couple ways you could reach me. Um, I have a profile up on Psychology Today, um, which is a resource for finding a therapist. So if you're in the state of New Mexico and 
want me to be your therapist, uh, you could look up a little bit more about me and my process on psychology today by just searching my name, Whitney Tressel. And then also, if you are in the northern New Mexico area and want to have options from a whole bunch of different therapists at my full-time job, which is Tewa Roots Society, tewarootssociety.com. We focus on native populations. So if you're native, feel free. It's zero dollars. And we also accept Medicaid. So anyway, these are all New Mexico specific. So I understand there's a lot of Massachusetts listeners, but you never know. So yeah. Love it. And I will also point people in the direction of Whitney's episode of this podcast where she was our guest. If you want to learn more about Whitney. Yeah, totally listen to that one too. It was so fun. It was awesome. I do want to give a a quick thank you to my brother, Adam Salzberg, for mixing this episode and getting it to your ears. The theme music is by Typist, which is Adam's solo project. Talk about albums that I'm obsessed with. The album Almanac by Typist is incredible and a great one to listen to while creating art in the spirit of avoiding burnout is my tradition after these special episodes to take a slightly longer break between episodes but we'll be back in a few weeks with more of our regularly scheduled i loved this conversation programming so thanks so much for listening and thanks again whitney thank you thanks salzburg thanks convos i love you listeners dedicated group i tell you they're the best Thanks, Convos. Thanks for writing in. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, Without you... Would have gotten real weird. Thanks (laughs) for, like, steering the ship. This is, believe it or not, the least weird conversation we've had. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. We're sickos. We're weird. Well, bye. Bye. Bye.